Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Steve Weiss, you've seen a lot of markets. I'm wondering how you're viewing this. Well, I'm thinking that this GameStop situation is the craziest I think I've ever seen. Uh, Usually, you have a short squeeze and it goes up, but this one keeps going. So this really speaks to the changing demographics of investors in the market. Welcome to another episode of what I am calling Season 2 of Politics. And I am so proud of us, Jeb, that after a four-year hiatus, we've made it to Episode 2. How are you, buddy? Exhausted. <laughs> Do you mind if I lie Still down? Still recovering or... from Episode 1? Yeah, I got a... I mean, I don't want a, like a full Rip Van Winkle, but I could take like a half. <laughs> what Are you out of town at the moment? What's your current situation? I'm I'm still home, um... You know, we we don't get to go anywhere, but actually, I'm I, I may be traveling pretty soon to take my son up north because we've exhausted all the outdoors he can really <laughs> pursue in Florida, and he's never seen snow. And a friend of mine said, you know, I got uh, I got this house here that you know is normally occupied. It's going to be unoccupied if you want to come up and and build snowmen. So like, I'm halfway gone. <laughs> like, I've, gotcha. I've never been so excited to drive for two days. Yeah, it's a weird thing to get pumped about, but um, I'm really happy that you, you're going to introduce your son to the snow. Um, now, we don't have a, a whole lot of time to record today because I've got some pressing engagements, but you mentioned the word Occupy, and I'll tell you what, it's Occupy version 2.0 online with this subreddit, Wall Street Bets versus institutional investors using the weapon of GameStop stocks, and I am fucking here for it, man. I'm so excited about what I'm seeing. I'm so confused, but I really am enjoying it. I've been subscribed to Wall Street Bets for quite a while. Um, I've probably been on that subreddit for maybe like a year and a half, just because their quality of shitposting is is pretty much unrivaled on Reddit. Like the people who are on there are spending real time being put in to the terrible memes that they create, ripping scenes from uh, famous movies and just creating fantastic pieces of art. And the shit talking on there, listen, it involves a lot of problematic language. I will absolutely grant you that. But if you look at what those fuckers are up to at the moment, it is hilarious. I I assume you've been watching the sort of unfolding of what's been happening, particularly the last few days as well, Jeb? Yeah, I mean, like, trying to calibrate how excited I should be. And then, of course, you know... It starts out fun, and then you find out, well, part of this is happening because institutional investors got behind the 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 subreddit guys and and put their money where the subreddit mouth was, and you know went ahead and and fucked their peers. So that kind of takes a little shine off of it. You you want it to be pure Davy and 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 Goliath, but still, of course. The but panic. that shit's always going to happen. Like if yeah. if there's ever going to be something involving money where it's shifting in one direction in a big hurry, like some of the rich guys are going to cotton on to it and and be on that vehicle as well. So, um. For the for the uninitiated, I think the more important bit to explain, because I've been like seeing all these 
think pieces and explainers and podcast episodes that are taking people through the fundamentals of the stock market and how that works. I don't think that's the story here at all. I don't think anyone gives a shit, particularly the people who are participating in this quote-unquote market manipulation, which is just a bunch of friends online finding a stock and rallying around it. So I just wanted to provide maybe a little bit of a context um, from the point of view of someone who hangs out a lot on Reddit and, and what has happened from that perspective. Yeah, I, I, just you bringing that up, I wanted to ask, because I always got the impression that that kind of, you know, that, that Reddit hive was pretty like a narco-capitalist, reads a lot of zero hedge, like might have a, a really good take on something, but then also might just be like off, you know, like yeah. to Mars on something else. Oh, 100%. But it's such a lot of people at this point. Even that one subreddit now has, uh, I think, a 3 million people plus who are participating on there. So Damn. you cannot... Dis- yeah, that's the thing. And so people will say like, you know, quote unquote, Redditors or quote unquote, Wall Street bets, you know, bros. This is not a homogenous group by any stretch of the imagination. But there certainly is some characteristics of the subreddit that has come through. Um, and I think your uh, um, assumption that there being <laughs> zero hedge dudes, I think is is definitely right. So what has been happening on that subreddit for a long time is their growing frustration and I think realization of how um, stacked against the odds average people are when they're trading stocks on the share market. They are going up against institutional investors who are doing like pretty nakedly illegal stuff to make money. Um, they're going against high frequency traders who are using a combination of really advanced computer algorithms and specific, really expensive computer hardware to beat everyone else on the market. Um, Michael Lewis has a really good book about that called Flash Boys, if yeah. anyone's interested to like find out about that world. Um, and in particular, the last couple of years, uh, they've been watching the Federal Reserve under Donald Trump's administration, it, it, even though you know it's it's a separate entity, but kind of get these signals and just print money at a rate of knots, which has ensured that the stock market just can't go down. And when the prevailing wisdom and the visible fundamentals would suggest that the stock market should have gone down at various points, the Fed just continues to print new money um, to push into the market. And an effect of that is that there's there's a lot of sort of mom and pop investors and just normal everyday people who bear the brunt of that because the currency gets devalued when you just insist on inflating the amount of currency that you've got. Um, so it's been yeah this this financial decision to put the share market in front of any other priority, including like normal people for so long, and so these guys are just a, a bunch of punks who are. This isn't like all of them, but a lot of them are there because this app got created called Robinhood, which made share trading very, very easy for like 17-year-olds. You could get the app, get online. Everyone was locked down because of the pandemic and bored out of their fucking minds. And so they were like, hey, this casino that rich people have been playing on for ages, maybe that would be a better use of my time uh, you know, than a Nintendo Switch for a while. Maybe I could make a few bucks. And so people started to find out a little bit about share trading in the stock market. And so 
more people started coming into Wall Street bets, participating in the memes and the shit talking and the discussion of trades and, and how it all works. And there was this guy who made a post, I think it was late last year, um, who his name is Deep Fucking Value on Reddit. And he is now like an ordained god of Wall Street bets. He is the original GameStop guy. So he made a post where he outlined the financial case for why he th- he thought that GameStop was a hugely undervalued stock. And it was a combination of factors. Number one, they had a massive cash reserve on their books. Uh, number two, two new gaming consoles had come out, which only happens about once every eight years. We had a new Xbox and a new PlayStation, and America's infinite infrastructure, despite the fact that it was supposed to be good enough by now for people to download all their games. The size of the games are massive. The internet infrastructure sucks. What that means is that people have to go to a store to buy physical copies of the game still. And that was an unexpected thing to be happening in 2020 slash 2021. So GameStop was kind of presumed dead because everyone thought they'd just be downloading their games from the internet. But that's not the case for everyone. And so this guy wrote this down. He said, I've taken a massive long position on this stock. I think it's going to go up. I think it's deeply undervalued. And the the main reason that he added is that the majority of the positions held on GameStop in the share market were shorts. And they were these massive shorts, which is betting that the price of the stock will go down. It was, a su- by these it huge- was like a super majority. It was 131% or something like that, or 136% of the uh, stock? I, the- yeah, I I guess it's how you count it because I'd heard like 84%, but I'm sure there's different metrics with how to count this stuff. And listen, I barely fucking know what I'm talking about. But there were these huge funds and fund managers and there's some specific guys who are absolute enemies of the state in Wall Street bets who were A, betting against this company and B, going on television and telling everyone that they had these massive positions of betting against the company and that the share price was going to go down which itself arguably is market manipulation. So the guys on Reddit were like, fuck this shit. Let's do it. If we all buy it, it's essentially going to perform the same mechanism as a pump and dump. We can drive the price of the stock up. And in the process, not only are we like supporting this nostalgic retailer from our childhood, but we could completely destroy some of these billionaire hedge funds that have bet against GameStop. Because if the price of the stock goes up, those positions that they've held go to shit. And they fucking did it. (laughs) And all the while, these billionaires kept going on CNBC and crying to Kramer on air that they, you know, were were, um, performing market manipulation and all of these tactics that are arguably illegal. Bullshit that it pales in comparison to the things that they've been doing over the years. But because it was a collection of little people doing it and not uh, some billionaire in charge of a, a mutual fund... They got all pissy about it, yeah. and it's just been kind of great to watch it all unfold. Yeah, the uh, the two things I've been thinking about a lot, actually, since this started were um, things that came up on uh, something we talk about, like um, we, we do like kind of a, like plague diary bonus on on my podcast for the Patreon donors, and um, uh, two things we've, we've talked about a lot. Or one was um, something I just called like just as a one-off, the Graffin curve after Greg Graffin from Bad Religion, and that's the rate at which as you age, you realize that everything you used to believe absolutely in bad religion as a teenager and then got embarrassed about was in fact true the entire time. 
You know, like oh. and I, I think somebody had like there's a, there's a much pithier tweet about this, and it was like somebody was like you know me at sixteen, you know, listening to Rage Against the Machine, like me at forty at a cocktail party. No, really, some of those that work forces <laughs> are the same that burn crosses, right? <laughs> but like it, you know, this this entire worldview that seems very juvenile, like these people are evil, keeps getting validated. And yeah. this was such a perfect example of of that happening with the other thing that that we talk about a lot, which is that all metaphor died during the Trump administration. Like just everything yes. that is happening is the most brutally literalist version of its own awfulness. So you got all these hedge fund guys like the Melvin Capital dickwad is on there going like, um, but it's it's OK. So when you're doing it to us, that's cheating. But when we do it to you, that's just the laws of economics that yeah. God designed and actually just honestly, like Adam Smith didn't even have anything to do with it. God spoke to him and like later to David <laughs> Ricardo and then to a lesser extent, Milton Friedman. But these are iron laws. And you're like, you're all like all you're doing when you describe this crime is describe your job. You've described your entire existence. <laughs> Absolutely. And these guys are old. They've been doing it a long time. You're right. They talk about it with the language of like, you know, Jesus's miracles included uh, spitting on a blind guy, giving him sight, turning water into wine, and then developing the derivatives market. <laughs> the, that was the third one when people really started to take notice. It's been amazing watching the um, reaction from some of the different associated platforms as well, like Robin Hood. And th- 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 this is such a uh, fluid situation that who knows what's happening when you're listening to this. But earlier today, um, uh, Robin Hood banned the trading of GameStop stock and also AMC, which has been another one that they've cottoned on to, and Tootsie Roll. <laughs> These fuckers found out that Tootsie Roll is a publicly traded company and uh, started getting behind that with um, a-, a similar sort of mechanism in mind. And... I just, it's kind of interesting because, it, as I mentioned, I do not have a good understanding of this stuff, but it seems like this memification of the stock market that's going on might generate some kind of a market force to rip some of these short positions out of the market. And like eventually, after I imagine there'll be a lot of swings and volatility, they might actually bring some of these stock prices back to what they're supposed to be. Well, this is the the really kind of bizarre thing is if, you know, the market made sense, you know, and and this is the argument that the hedge fund guys are doing is like, well, what they're doing is they're making this uh, confusing, chaotic mess and not like bound by these iron laws of rationality. But like, if the market made sense, why wouldn't you assume that movie theaters would recover after the pandemic? That would seem to be a pretty good investment, because if nothing else, you've got great retail space in every significant population center in the country, right? Even if you don't wind up using them for movie theaters, you spin off the property for another division. I mean, you close half of them, but that's like not a bad buy. These guys are also operating in a space where they, they've got so much free time on their hands and they're like singularly dedicated to finding these arbitrage opportunities that I think with this much market activity, Like, let's adopt a free market mentality to this. If you've got all of these retail investors flooding in on the market and finding these opportunities, doesn't it weed out the irregularities with the stock prices after a while? After we get 
over the sort of wild ups and downs. It just seems to me that they're figuring out where these kinks are and exploiting them, and it'll fuck the share price up for for a while. But the only reason they were able to pull this off in the first place is because there was this incredibly irregular situation with GameStop stocks, by and large, being shorted on such a huge level. Right. I mean, they're just doing, like amateur hour arbitrage right it's like hobbyist arbitrage but it's it's the same mechanism you know they found a huge inefficiency and an ex, you know an exploitability that was based on groupthink and so the response has been well it's okay you know our groupthink is logical when we as a class do it but it's apostasy when when you're doing it because you don't understand and there i mean it, it's it's all mummery i mean there's no real justification here i don't know as if like I don't think this especially can last in terms of its profitability for people. Of course not. But of course not. But I and I keep saying this online, like on Twitter when I'm talking to people at the moment. For for me, and I know that there's like as I said before, this is not a homogenous group. So people are getting involved for different reasons. Some people probably are getting involved for financial gain. This is share trading after all. But I seriously believe in my heart of hearts that a huge portion of these people are doing it for two reasons. Number one, for the lols, yeah. which I respect the hell out of. <laughs> well, you're protecting J- your the- turf a little there. You get a little bit of of like rational self-interest. Like, wait, I got to keep the comedy alive. Dude, people are finding their own fun right now. And, and the in the darkness of so much like death and destruction because a president reigned over a period who was wholly inept to hold the office in any circumstances and then was delivered some pretty big challenges and like 400,000 Americans died. And so people are now at home, hopefully every once in a while with a stimulus check and they they want to find a new hobby for lols. Fucking good on them. The other is I think there is a real political activism that is going on through a mechanism of share trading at the moment. A lot of these guys are around my age, and I'm, I'm just guessing that based on um, the jokes that they're posting and the language that they're using, how they're talking, that sort of thing. And the events that I've witnessed in my lifetime are just, it's, it's a lot of, it seems like there's been a lot of hallmark occasions of the little guy getting fucked over, particularly in financial matters. Like the 2008 global financial crisis was such a galvanizing moment in my, you know, like personal political memory and mm. that there was this incredible injustice that was inflicted on the whole world and it fucked over the poorest people the worst and it was done because rich people were playing at the casino in a wholly irresponsible way. And then the governments had to step in and bail them out. And then you had like the Occupy movement that was born out of the injustice of the political action that happened in the wake of that crisis. And Occupy made me really excited because it it looked to me, it wasn't quite as cool, but it was almost that 60s feeling activism of just like, man, fuck the entire, this whole thing is rotten. We will not participate. We're just going to shut it down, take a bunch of acid and listen to some great music. And it had that kind of flavor to it. And then watching like Sukiti Park get shut down brutally by police after they, you know, had deemed that the teenagers had had enough fun and now it was time to get back to work and get a haircut and put a tie on. Um, it was really sad. And then I feel like we've seen, we saw the same thing with Bernie Sanders getting fucked over by the DNC. And I, I think there's just a lot of frustration at these financial elites who have 
um, played a big part in fucking over the financial hope of people my in my generation. Our, our ability to just like play on an even field. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, my parents were lucky to be able to invest in the stock market because they, you know, had jobs that came with stock benefits or jobs that they could save money and then put that in this, you know, and of course, to me, the stock market is like asking me what my favorite Gulfstream jet is, like, honestly, yeah. right? <laughs> but I mean, I, I was with you on on Occupy too, like just seeing that ferment and, you know, the, the problem that Occupy had was that it really didn't have a coherent politics outside of we're going to occupy some public spaces and then figure it out. And there was a liability there because you can be drummed out of a public space, uh, like a physical public space. There's less here, but it also has the same problem of like, you know, like, like we were talking earlier, it could be a bunch of fucking wackos from Zero Hedge who are like basically just, you know, QAnon, but without the blood. They're still like, they still have some really, really unpleasant things to say about Rothschilds, you know, like it's not a great place. So I don't know as if I want to activate those people because, you know, like Andrew Arnheimer, Weave, you know, became full Nazi, but he was one of the, the you know, the names in Zuccotti Park. There, you know, there were people that came out of that that ferment and who went exactly the scary way with it. And I'm hoping, you know, like what's been sort of like this this mixed blessing is seeing the shutdown happen of of like we're going to cut off the app. And then allegedly, and I, I, I didn't get to read more about this, so I may be wrong, but allegedly, supposedly we just started selling people's positions going, you know, you can't use this app for anything. We're selling your stock essentially just gaming an end to the short squeeze. So I, you know, I don't know. So don't take my word for that for certain. But, you know, of course, by the time this goes live, it might be absolutely, you know, widely reported. But um, the, the, the absence of metaphor is so pure in this case, because, you know, in Zuccotti, you're an asshole who is hanging out in a park. You were told the police came, you knew what was going to come. But here you're just at home and you're doing... Mm literally nothing different from what the you know the institutional bodies are doing but you're being yeah. told it's being criminalized when you do it and the just the yeah. that i think you know I, I hope that the democrats have the sense this time not to to boof it you know to realize that like, it, what they did in by like continuing to bail out wall street but let main street just rot and let the rocket dockets just zing through thousands of foreclosures if they at least learn that lesson i'm not as panicky about it I mean, it has been interesting to see, at least on the left wing of the Democrat Party, like members of the squad coming out and tweeting and being like, what's happening right now is bullshit. These people are just participating in the market. They should be allowed to. You guys have been able to do it for a long time under very questionable tactics. This pales in comparison to that. You cannot shut down. You can't change the rules of the game after the whistle is like blown to kick things off just because suddenly you're a point down. It's not, and that's like exactly what is happening right now. I use the metaphor online of um, it's it's like a bunch of guys on Reddit learned how to card count. <laughs> you know, you go to a casino and card counting is an it's it's not illegal. You've learned a memory trick with your brain, but casinos will kick you out if you figure out how to do that because the ironclad rule in the casino is that the house always wins, and that's how these guys have been treating the stock market. Is that no? It's no, like we tell everyone it's fair. It's not fair. And if you find some sort of advantage over us, we'll we'll fuck you over. But I think like just hearkening back to what you were saying about the 
the output of this and, and who will come out of this and um, potentially this being the, the same dudes who were getting ready to dress up as a QAnon shaman and storm the Capitol, um, if only they could find the keys to get out of the house, you know. That's why the narrative of what is going on right now is so important because with Occupy, like looking backwards, you can take a number of things away from it. You could describe it as being a failed movement that went nowhere. Um, But in actual fact, you don't get Bernie Sanders' two incredibly powerful presidential uh, runs, um, which, albeit they weren't successful in that he didn't become president, but he created such an incredible base. I think he did a better job out of uniting the left than anything I've seen in, in my life. Um, you don't get that without Occupy because I think there were just a, enough little pennies that dropped and tipping points that went over and tactics that got discovered on how to do community uh, organizing in the real world and, and leftists coming together and talking and figuring out how to do things properly um, that I think there's going to be some cool things out of this whole financial event that has unfolded because I've got like friends of mine who have no no fucking interest in, in the markets or in share trading or any of this. But as they're reading about what's going on, they're like, hey, wait a minute, this seems kind of unfair. And it's like, yeah, here's some books about this. Here's a documentary. Maybe, you know, check out a movie. Right. Yeah. No, I actually went through this today with my uh, my QAnon neighbor. Uh, I, you know, I just shot him a text. I was like, have you seen this? This is wild. And he's like, it, well, I'd, I sent him one yesterday and he hadn't seen it. And then he read up on it today. And then he's, you know, he's complaining about it and he just sounds like a socialist, you know, and I'm like, well, actually, in point of fact, there is something that explains what you're talking about. And, you know, but we we obviously we have to luck out and have somebody around who knows these things when these when people do have these questions. But you're right. I think like, you know, Occupy, Bernie, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, all of these, I mean, being activist on the left or really any any kind of activism, but especially on the left in America is basically just like a succession of noble failures. And it, you kind of have to take comfort in the nobility of the failure and that the next time, you know, another rung on the, the achievement ladder is sort of added to the skill ladder. And that's what's been happening. But, you know, in, in sort of in the regular space and in the, the sort of Twitter space and the idea that we're all kind of like, daily show pundits in real life, but this is giving people an incentive to suddenly focus on something that, you know, you know, they're probably the 80% of Americans who aren't invested in it, but who haven't had a chance to be around people who are like, listen, man, money isn't real. <laughs> it's just not, you know, like it's just something we all agree upon. Right. So why yeah. are we letting these people tell us what we agree about? Like, you know, that's, it's weird to have this conversation with, regular people who are like man money is fake and you're like wait a minute you, you're just the lady that i hang out with at the playground when our kids are playing but now you're talking to me like somebody who just haunts twitter all the time and has like a skull and a rose emoji and you can't tell if they're you know is it dsa or grateful dead i honestly don't care i have to um just flag this in the podcast in case anyone who listens to this then puts two and two together later but it's so funny you phrase it that way because i've literally got a joke that I've been performing on stage about how money is fake that I had recorded for a gala um, that got televised at the end of last year that I will be 
putting out online a lot on my social media channels <laughs> to try and get people to buy tickets to come to my comedy festival show in a couple of months. So um, I just want to say, I didn't steal that from Jeb. That is a beautiful situation of parallel thinking where we uh, both agree that money is bullshit, but it is the bullshit that we all agree upon that makes the world go round. Um have you got anything else to, to say on this? I'm just like watching with uh, big, thirsty, hopeful eyes that it's going to tick over into um, a, a political movement. But uh, yeah, apart from that, I'm just along with popcorn for the ride. The thing I want to keep an eye on, and this is just maybe like my, you know, turf protection or whatever, but just seeing the response from the the 24-hour news media and sort of legacy media in portraying these people has been dismal and and fuck yeah predictably right yeah and you know absolutely complicit in the power structure etc but um historically like legacy media just sucks at understanding what the internet is doing you know they're they're Mm. always explaining something about three like this last they shouldn't they shouldn't still be this bad at it. They shouldn't. But I mean, it's like so many other American institutions, like a lot of it is gerontocracy at work or something close, you know, at least age wise. Um, you know, also, I think there's a lot of like, if you're in legacy media, you probably have a lot of antipathy toward the internet. Like there probably might be a little sort of psychological block in terms of embracing it because it's an antagonist. But <laughs> can I just give you an example, though? I listened to uh, The Daily, which is this a New York Times one, right? Yeah, yeah. That's run by the of guy the- who fucked up the uh, caliphate. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and fuck and, now, actually. And, I've got and hosted to make by sure. the guy who didn't know that C SPAN had a different number for Republicans and a different number for Democrats in 2016, even though he was a New York Times political reporter. And it's always been that way. <laughs> All right. Well, now I've got to make sure that I've, um, I've got that. I'm either describing the Daily Explainer podcast from the New York Times or the one from Vox, but I'm just using this as an example <laughs> about how, um, legacy media, though, I guess. Vox, this would be an even worse example of because they're not. But at any rate, on yeah, their yeah. freaking Daily Explainer podcast today, they were talking all about the um, the Wall Street bets guys. And at no point did they even use the correct terminology for what a subreddit is. Like they had different guests on. They had the host talking about it constantly. And at different times, it was called like a forum, um, a thread, a group, whatever. No one said the word subreddit. There's three million fucking people subscribed right. to that one subreddit. <laughs> Say the word. It's not hard. And and it just, it does go to illustrate your point about how illiterate these people are about how the online world works. And it, we're in a pandemic. Everyone is extremely online right now. Right. Yeah. No. and, And what's especially sad is like almost all these institutions are run by old guys and you know that they have like gone wild. <laughs> like, 100%. They're like subscribed. It's like the only reason why they have the Reddit app. It's like that and pictures of like Tom Brady getting his, just his shit slammed by a defensive end. That's all they're there for. But the uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it is like every time I hear stuff like that, I just imagine to be like if me, me showing up in like Auckland and just walking around to somebody like holding up a, a football and be like, who wants to go kick the soccer? And you're like, what? it's it's, it's <laughs> there's a lot of zones where I don't want to be pretentious about this stuff or like um, elitist is the wrong word. But, you know, I'm not going to shit anyone for not knowing a subculture of something. But if you're reporting on the media, if you are the media and you don't understand the basic mechanisms of how Reddit works in 2021, my guys, come on. Yeah. The, so the thing like the, the thing that made me 
think about this and like want to watch it is is watching all these explainers come out about QAnon in the last year where you're like it's you know blood libel and all this stuff and and very little of it you know apart from like some more some crazier elaborations but like all the core of where this came from if you asked me or somebody else who is you know probably too much on Twitter we could have written that explainer for you in the middle of 2017 but we got it in 2020 because the you know the times was finally on it but you know the the idea that that it, you know it sprang out of 4chan it was you know shit posting the 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 pizza gate stuff came from uh, a back formation from their using cp as an, an abbreviation for child pornography so literally they accused the democratic party of their own in joke like this was plain to see and nobody cared and what seems plain to, to see now that you're picking up on and i'm picking up on is just the huge vengeful fuck you capacity of this because you know in america it's really hard to get away with murder but they killed a hedge fund they bled 11 billion dollars out of hedge funds they annihilated melvin capital three billion dollars in one in one morning and if you tell people like all right you're powerless your 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 government is unrepresentative of your needs it's unresponsive they they completely fucked the dog on the last financial crisis they're going to do it again and you got nothing but time. And the only thing that's going to validate you as a person who can still change things is if you just go, fuck you. Like, that is such, I mean, you know, negative emotion is such a powerful driver. But, I mean, I really think it's being undersold. I know that, like, as we're saying, the effects, people aren't going to make a ton of money. They're not going to be able to push the market like this. But now you have a whole bunch of people who learn that they can. And they're going to wait around yes. until the next time. And absolutely, if this form it, of arbitrage it, doesn't cut it, they'll find a different form of arbitrage and use similar tools, but the same vengeance. You've mobilized vengeance. Absolutely. It really frustrates me that this keeps getting described and explained as a financial story. It's not. I'm, as I said before, I'm sure some people are on there to try and make some money out of this situation. But I would argue even a majority from what I am saying on this, on this sub the people are there for the lols. They're there to fuck off billionaires. And they're doing it. They've done it successfully. It's amazing. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Technically, a filibuster is anything that obstructs or blocks legislation, especially in the Senate. But of course, most people know it as senators using their right to talk as long as they want. They can only be cut off if 60 other senators vote for something called cloture to end that. While Democrats do not have the votes for it now, filibuster reform is still technically on the table. At this point, I should have a better understanding of... of, um where it still applies because uh so my limited understanding is that it is you, you can no longer use it for appointments but you can use it for against legislation that's proposed well you can you can use it against anything if you vote on that for the rules so uh, the 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 filibuster 
if I remember correctly, it was Schumer who withdrew the filibuster for uh, for judicial appointments. And then, of course, the Republicans exploited that just, you know, beautifully if you're a Republican. Um, he, he dropped that. But then, you know, they, they basically they held on to a few traditions that allowed the Republicans to main, remain obstructionist. And then as soon as they lost control, the GOP had no real compunction about just going, well, we'll get rid of those. The uh, like stuff like the uh, what is it? The ticket that you can flag is like a state senator. Sorry, a state senator. You can uh, it's the blue ticket where you can just say, I don't want that person nominated for a judicial appointment that used to be honored. So if you thought right. somebody, you know, from your state was just a real piece of shit jurist, you could keep them off that. You know, the GOP was like, fuck that. We're going to get rid of that. Um, but like the rules that we have, actually, Alex Perrine has a really good rundown on this um, in the New Republic. I think it might have come out today or maybe yesterday. But basically just explaining for people who don't know, you know, the, the rules that we're playing by are, are not even 20 years old in terms of the filibuster. And it, its ability to obstruct has been expanded deliberately over the last about 40 years. There's no reason why you have to maintain it in its current form. The uh, The problem is that we have Democrats who, who want to remain appearing bipartisan, so they're probably not going to vote to eliminate it. Uh, he Perrine has a uh, covers a proposal to basically say you can keep the filibuster, but like let's limit its application so you can preserve their pledge, but you defang it because you can manipulate its applicability within the rules. Uh, the, the, the proposal that, that like doesn't look like it's, it's going to happen, but really seems nice is the, the idea that a filibuster can only be maintained if it represents over 50% of Americans, which would get rid of the, the anti, the counter majoritarian power that, uh, the, the GOP has within the Senate because they have 50 seats, but I think they represent like 50 million fewer people. Oh, wow. So it becomes based on the population that you're representing. Right. You, I mean, you can add that as a writer to the rule, but they probably won't. Like another one that might be more more practical, and that's covered in this piece, is the idea that if you want, if a, a party wants to filibuster a minority, right, of which you only need 40 votes, you need to have the minimum of 40 votes to do it. So you can go ahead and filibuster, but it becomes an affirmative uh, vote on your part. Like you have to be able to marshal it because the way it exists now, you can have Ted Cruz or Rand Paul go, hold up, let me completely fuck this for everybody, even if, you know, everyone else in their party is just miming the jerk-off motion off camera. So in this case, like, it would have to be a filibuster where you got your entire party on the record going, we want to stop this and we want to make this anti-democratic. Partly, it's going to reduce it just because you're not going to be able to get 40 votes, right? Like, But then also, it's going to reduce it because then everybody has to go on the record. Nobody really minds the filibuster now because when Ted Cruz goes to be an asshole, that's all on Ted Cruz, unless you want to join him because you think it's going to be advantageous for you. But like purple state Republicans who want to seem like they're not out on that limb aren't necessarily going to want to throw in because Ted Cruz said, hang on, let's, you know, in his case, let's basically uh, stop the uh, raising the debt ceiling and, and grind America to a halt. Because would it be fair to say that there are some senators, and I am thinking of Ted Cruz and probably Mitch McConnell to an extent as well, where they are quite happy to play the role of supervillain and do the things that need to be done because they know that they are performing a role in the party and will be sort of rewarded and uh, acknowledged for that fact, that there's some really dirty business that someone in the party has to do out loud and they will do it. And behind closed doors, there's an acceptance by other senators that they're performing that task. Yes, but I mean, nobody likes Ted Cruz. Yeah, nobody likes Ted Cruz. It's uh, true. And McConnell, 
you know, he likes to not have his hands on things because then he can say, well, I'm, you know, I'm Roger. Shit, that's a good Mitch McConnell. <laughs> well, yeah, the trick is not to pronounce any any letters if you can. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, it, part of the reason why it works or part of the reason why you've seen it so much is as the Republican Party has stopped being successful at the ballot box because they don't believe in things that people like. You know, you get the culture war distraction and you get procedural distraction. Americans, because they don't know that the filibuster is wholly optional, they like it because it's a bipartisan tool, in part because the Democrats have said, we want to keep it because the next time we're in the minority, we want to be able to block the repeal of Roe v. Wade, or we want to be able to block the repeal of the... uh, of the ACA. But in practice, they don't use it that way. But for the Republicans, it's a wonderful tool because if nothing happens, that does two things. You don't, you don't get voted out because you did something wrong. And you're basically the party who believes that government malfunctions. And if you make it malfunction, you confirm your priors. And so it's always been the um, uniquely powerful position of the GOP to go, government is bad. It's like, wait a minute, aren't you guys part of the government? Yeah. And so when we fuck up, we were right. (laughs) I tried to tell you. Why has this conversation come back right now? Is it simply because we have a new administration, especially that's in the unique position of having the Senate and the House and the White House all at once? Well, I mean, it's like it's it's the number I I gave you before. You know, it's a 50-50 Senate split, but the Democrats represent 50 million more people. So they represent one seventh more of America, and yet they're in a dead heat. And so, like anything that we would talk about, about uh, you know, a stimulus or, uh, I mean, I just think about a big ticket item: uh, D.C. statehood, Puerto Rico statehood, um, a new Voting Rights Act, mandatory uh, um, automatic voter registration. All that stuff is moot if the filibuster is still there. There's no point. So, like, if they can't fix this the rest of the term becomes academic. And then we're kind of talking about do all the people who just got radicalized by the GameStop thing, start reading a lot of zero hedge, maybe migrate over to, you know, the something darker. And then they're the ones who need a strong man to break the gridlock. Democrats, if they preserve that gridlock, they're fucked for a number of reasons. But the major one is they may never win an election again. I mean, yeah. you already have the GOP out. Like there's, I think what was this the fact I saw a figure that was astounding. It was like, 130 different bills in various state legislatures to restrict voting access because, Jesus well, we, we didn't win, so we got to make fewer people vote. And if the Democrats can't stamp that out, they're not going to win anything again because gerrymandering is a hell of a drug. Mechanically, what would be required for them to change the rules? Can they do it with the 50% of the Senate that they hold plus Kamala Harris to break the, the tie? Or to change rules, do you need like a higher level? Well, you can do things through reconciliation, but then you have a 10-year sundown, so it has to be amortized at like $0. So that's the way that the um, the the tax the Trump tax cuts got passed. Everybody got a tax cut up front, but at the end of the 10 years, you and me, you know, assuming you were here, make up the difference because the the wealthy keep their tax cut. But ultimately, this budget proposal has to be value neutral at the end of a 10-year period based on the existing projections. So you could do that, but then if you have it sundowned, then all the the GOP has to do is essentially wait it out. But I, I mean, there are other procedural things that you can throw into the, the works. And I'm not a parliamentarian. I mean, they literally have somebody whose only job is to understand this like 
this clown show Arcane, that makes up the rules. magical, dark arts of wizardry that are changing the laws and the, the Senate rules. There's a good book out now, though, if you, if you want to read more about it. And I haven't picked it up yet, but I will because he's a, a, a gifted writer and his, his politics are in the right, right place. But Adam Gentleson with a J, um, he was the chief of staff to Harry Reid when Harry Reid was the, the Senate majority leader. And bas- he has a book out now basically just saying, you know, here's how fucked the Senate is <laughs> and uh, and explaining how to unfuck it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure he had to consult the parliamentarian as well, or at least if he didn't, it's because he did it so much in like the previous years that it's all burned in there. And out, outside of um, the complicated secrets that are contained in Adam Gentleson's book, for a budget reconciliation, that's something that the Democrats could do now. But it has to be it has to be attached to like a budget bill that gets passed. I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know as if that's true. I just know that uh, like you you ascend, you have to make it value neutral, and so this reconciliation is one of those things. For where, financially, for like purely from a financial point of view, or is there some other? Yeah, that's the loophole. It's because you can get it through as long as it the filibuster you can you can automatically do to any sort of budget change. And this is the only way to kind of get through it under that that threshold. I think this is sort of like a practical out for keeping the government functioning. The problem with budget reconciliation is that it's a diminishing resource because you can only do it on certain kinds of bills to begin with. So it's basically spending and debt. And like, there's a lot that you can fold into there because like they overlap huge amounts of the government and, you know, you can kind of backdoor like a ton of issues into that. Because it's basically it's a mechanism to get around the filibuster to keep the government running. Uh, And so that's why it's essentially like tied to budgetary constraints. But the problem is that you've, you've got two issues. One, you can only pass a limited number of bills that fit within those criteria per year through reconciliation. So you have to be really careful about what you want to do with it before you do it. And then once you do it, you're done. And then the other is that they have to fit according to the uh, the bird rule the the bird rule basically puts a 10 year window on the budget mechanisms that you're using so so whatever you're doing winds up being taken out of the budget and then has to reconcile with the existing budget within 10 years so the the perfect example of that was the republican tax cut that overwhelmingly benefited rich people because over the course of 10 years the tax cuts that poorer people got sundown to pay for the permanence of rich people's tax cuts. So you're also dealing with a diminished resource in that respect because basically you're taking a pie and whatever you take out of it has to be replaced to something else and whatever you put in has to be taken out, right? As opposed to a regular bill where you can just say, by the way, we're adding this tax that's going to fund the billion that we need. You have to start with the billions you already have and then get into basically a... a, a ten-year resource allocation fight. You guys got a you guys got a wacky system over there, Jeb. It's someone should really take a look at it. There's a reason why nobody copies it. Like they're really, I mean, <laughs> like nobody. You know, every we wrote this great. We love this constitution. Everybody else takes a look at it and they're like, you know, we're not going to write this thing down because, <laughs> like, that's such a good point. America's always banging on about what a, um, a singular and unique democracy you are. That might not be such a great sign. Yeah. And, and like, and honestly, I can't, 
I really don't under, well, I mean, I guess it does sort of make sense, but like a nation founded by religious wackos that then decided to write like their entire purpose for a nation down so we could spend 300 years getting in more abstracted exegetical debates about what a bunch of people who wrote S's that looked like F's thought. Like, you know. Uh, On that fantastic note, I'm going to go to the beach, Jeb. Listen, there's a great book you can read at the beach. It's about the Senate. I've re- look. There is a link in the show notes if you want to track down this book. Um, if, if is the book out right now? I think it should be, or it's uh, within cool. the month or something. Like it's not a long pre-order wait. If I've done my job, then there is a link to Adam Gentleson's book if that is something that tickles your biffkin. But until <laughs> we see you next week, um, once again, Jeb, I'm proud of us. We got back on the mic for episode two. Let's see if we can do it all again for episode three. You know, we've, I, we, I was going to say, we've doubled our output from 2020, but we haven't because you, we're multiplying by zero. But Oh, yeah, true, true. <laughs> we've doubled our output since sometime in 2017. That I know. Yes. Okay. (laughs) We're doing some Reddit math now. Bye, everyone. Take care of yourselves. Do not construe this as financial advice. If you're buying stock based on a podcast, we cannot help you. Yeah, do not buy stock based on anything I said about parliamentary procedure either. Let's tarot cards only. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.